Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I think today is a first for me in that I am joined today with Bill Topol. And Bill is the national market leader for financial services here at BDO Digital. And the reason I say it's a first is I think outside my group, the Demand Generation Group, I don't think I've ever had somebody, Bill, on the podcast at BDO Digital. So welcome. Well, great, Dave. I appreciate it. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I want to start off with the end of my day today because it will take us right into what we're going to talk about, which is really what's happening in financial services and probably relates to a lot about customer experience. So those of you that are listening and tuning in to this episode, I know a lot of you work in marketing, various different marketing roles, sales roles. We got to think about the customer experience. And you know, one of the, when people ask me, hey, Dave, what does BDO Digital do? You know what I tell them, Bill? I say we are architects of the modern workplace. That's what I say, because I think that's what we do. And the thing I was going to tell you is later today, I'm going to the bank. And when I say I'm going to the bank, I'm going to the ATM, Bill. I'm not actually setting foot in the bank. I rarely ever set foot in the bank. I go to the ATM, but I used to go into the bank all the time. And I've got to take some money out. And my whole banking experience has changed in only one significant way. And that is when I used to go to the ATM, I would take out a card and insert it and enter a code. And today I'll just go up and lay my iPhone on the Wells Fargo little ATM pad and get logged in that way. So clearly they even thought, how can we make this an even more frictionless customer experience? So I'd like to start off, you know, Bill, with you just like talking about the market today. I mean, you, you guys work with hundreds of customers in financial services from credit unions, banks, you name it. And how are they adjusting to digital modernization? So when I talk to our customers and when I look across the market, both from what we're seeing at the business level and what technology trends are driving the market, I keep coming back to these three trends, right? The first one is interest rates are low and these lower interest rates are really having a profound effect on our customers' interest revenue which is having a big impact on margin. So whether you're lending money in these lower interest rates environment or on the insurance side, if you're investing money with low interest rates, you're not making as much money and this margin is not dropping to the bottom line. And that is forcing you to look at continual ways to optimize, ways to raise top line revenue with new products. And a lot of M&A activity today as customers are looking to expand market share, they don't have time to organically grow a new product line. If they see a competitor or a startup that could be complementary to the portfolio, they'll scoop them up and they'll you know, instantly be a bigger, different type of company. The second market trend that is alive and well, and it really plays well, Dave, into your customer experience comment a few minutes ago, is there are all these, quote, fintechs and they are disrupting the market in a number of different ways. We've all heard of 
hippo and lemonade insurance. We've all heard of credit karma and lending karma. Mm -hmm. And these are recent startups. They don't have any tech debt. They're born in the cloud. They've got a very, very sharp and very narrow offering. And they're chipping away at the established players in a kind of annoying little way, but they're slowly making their themselves known. At the other extreme, you've got Apple, Walmart, Amazon that have jumped into the financial services space simply by hanging an offering on their website. And those websites, in the case of Amazon, you know, 300 plus million customers in the United States, they can offer lending services, refinance services, checking services, and they can instantaneously be in the business. And the third thing we're seeing is hopefully the pandemic and COVID is behind us. We know people are coming back to work. There's almost a requirement to have a hybrid work environment. And this hybrid work environment is showing real serious gaps in our customers' infrastructures. I mean, we've all heard and seen the cyber attacks are alive and well. We've all heard and seen you know, the challenges people have in working from home and audiovisual equipment and collaboration and culture. So low interest rates, fintech disruption, and this hybrid work environment is really shaping and changing the way our customers think about things. And all three of these are having a big impact on that topic of customer experience. You know, these financial institutions, whether you're an insurance broker or a lender or a credit union, you're dealing with a very wide array of customer or member requirements. On one end, and I'll use my example personally, I've got in-laws that like going to the mailbox. Mm -hmm. They like going to the branch office. Yeah. They like taking their pension check and going to the bank and depositing it. It's a social event for them. Mm -hmm. On the other extreme, I've got a daughter in law school down in Louisiana. She prefers not to meet with an insurance broker or a banker, right? She does everything through her iPhone, whether that's going to the Merrill Lynch app, whether that's going to the Chase app or going to the Allstate app. So very different experience and marketers need to appeal to customers at a very wide range today. I was right before we kicked off, you were saying, how are you doing, Dave? And I, I was just let you know, I came back from vacation and we were up in Telluride, Colorado, had a great time with the family. First, by the way, Bill, first family vacation together in, in almost two years, literally to the day. It was my daughter's wedding was the last time the whole family was together. And I couldn't help but notice watching my kids and their significant others exactly what you're saying. Less human interaction was preferred, whether they were ordering something or whether they were checking on something, making a reservation, updating information. There is very little human contact. And it made me think about how all of us need to really understand that and COVID certainly accelerated that we're in such a contactless environment. And the bank that you talked about, I remember my grandma, Grandma Tilly, when I was a kid, you know, go see grandma at grandma's house. She always used to have those sesame candies. Those were so good. I don't know where those are these days, but grandma had them. She would take me to the bank, Bill, and she would open up accounts because she'd get a toaster or she'd get some, some kind of benefit from opening up the account, help the bank, as you said, because how do banks make money, right? Around, around the float and the interest 
but you know how do you differentiate especially if you're in the age of amazon as you said amazon has such a captured audience of people logging in every single day from amazon basics their product line to other things that they offer challenging time if you're a traditional bank and you're having to adapt for sure but i couldn't help but notice and i think all of us have to really be conscious that if my kids who are in their 20s and if they're younger or in their 20s or in 30s that the new buyer the modern buyer is in that contactless mindset and headset like i don't know about you but when i call a company for customer service i hate the phone tree i really wish someone would pick up the phone and i could just tell them instead of trying to navigate the phone tree am i alone there bill how do you feel about no absolutely in fact i made a call the other day to a retailer and i was multitasking i was doing other things and they actually picked up within 30 seconds and i was almost shocked i wasn't prepared i didn't have my (laughs) order number ready i didn't have my credit request ready and it was one of those moments that you were pleasantly surprised unfortunately all too often that's not the case you're five minutes into a call tree and you're yelling at your phone, operator, 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 and you hope you've circumvented the call tree and got to a live person by then. Yeah. You guys, when I say you guys, BDO Digital just cranked out the digital transformation survey. I'll make sure there's a link to it in the show notes below. So if you guys are listening to this, we'll make sure that there's a link to it. Let's summarize some of the findings from that because it was a very comprehensive set of findings from it, but maybe we can distill it down to some of the key areas. And one I know that you mentioned is how the acceleration around digital strategies. So when we look at our customers today, I already kind of outlined, you know, where I see them from an anecdotal standpoint and being in front of them day in, day out. It was refreshing and confirming when we looked at the digital transformation survey results, because there were a lot of parallels. Think of the last two years as a very specific time box to measure adoption of technology enablement. And, you know, I remember where I was on March 12th when we shut our office down. I literally walked out of the office with a gentleman I work with at BDO. I report to him. He had a monitor under his arm. He had a keyboard under his arm. He had a mouse stuffed in his briefcase. And you know, I had a similar setup and we said goodbye and we all thought we were going to be back in the office a week later, two yeah, weeks later right. here in Chicago. And it was literally 18 months later that I, I met him for drinks and it was the first wow. time we'd seen each other in 3D. And, you know, those, those were very different times. The customers that we have that were able to adapt quickly, get through that rapidly, may not have had technologies in place day, day one, but they had a culture where they could adapt and implement technologies very rapidly to support remote users, to enable video, just basic remote file sharing on non-office devices, non-plant devices was a huge thing back then, if you think back. And those customers that were able to adopt digital strategies rapidly were able to accelerate their continued market direction Many of them could take advantage of situations where their core competitors maybe were not able to get information communicated, could not get back to customers as rapidly. And, you know, we saw many of our customers grow market share because they could leverage technology faster. Yeah. That was, you know, one big trend in the survey. I think another great example of that, which don't know if they're a client of ours, but I was on Disney Plus 
and I was watching what Pixar had to do when they were, you know, right in the middle of wrapping up. I believe it was Soul when they were producing and making Soul, how they had to adapt overnight, right, to a company that has to be collaborative because of the nature of the work that they do in creating content across all the artists and storytellers and musicians. They couldn't afford to just, you know, shelve the project when they were weeks away from finishing it and they had to figure out how to do it. And, you know, when you have a global pandemic and you have to adapt to change instantly, you have to do it. But, I, you know, the, the reason I was coming, started off with my story of the bank today is we have to be really proactive all the time in adjusting to every day what the new normal is. And if we, we've seen more transformation take place, feels like to me, I'm almost 56, Bill, but, you know, in my 50s, I've seen a lot of change take place. And I remember my grandma talking about, you know, airplanes and TVs and then color TVs and the microwave. And, and I remember showing her Google Maps and showing her, and she looked up to see if there was a camera above us. And she had this experience of like, wait, how is it seeing this picture on the ground right here? You know, she was like, look, it was so crazy to her. So businesses are, you know, the, the survey, which highlighted that the acceleration that's taking place, I'm glad it calls it out because it's not business as normal. We are in a hyper accelerated time. The cloud has, has certainly enabled businesses to start overnight and change the way that they operate. What else out of the survey, big standouts to you, either confirming beliefs that you already had or just, just eye-opening? I think it goes hand in hand with rapid adoption of technology and these nimble companies that could react quickly. Either they found a way to keep upskilling rapidly or they were not going to keep the pace of change very well. I mean, we all work for and work and have worked with very well-established firms at some point in our life. And those well-established firms have very tenured people that have been there 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And these people that have been on these in these roles and have worked there, they have to continually reinvent themselves. And you may have to have reinvented yourself one or two times 15 years ago in your career. Mm -hmm. Now it seems like you have to reinvent yourself with new skills every other year. And upskilling and constant retraining is, is a big part of staying current. You cannot run a modern organization. You cannot adapt quickly to the modern needs of your customers if your skills are 15, 20 years behind. And I think that is a big part that we're seeing our customers continue to wrestle with. Digital transformation is really, for many companies, just starting. The pandemic is not going to wind down and we're going to go back to business as normal. Example, Dave, I thought of where you were talking. Never before had I walked into a restaurant, pulled out my iPhone, snapped a pic of the QR code to get the menu. Right. That was a foreign concept. Never thought why somebody wouldn't just hand me a menu. That's here today. I don't think that's ever going to go away again. People like that. People like, you know, not having to handle paper. People like having the latest and greatest information on their phone. And, you know, menus are way more prevalent now online because people are using them and they're far more current because they're using them in the building to order. So 
you know, that is a example of, you know, not only skills that need to be created. I mean, restaurants probably did not have the skills in-house to print QR codes. Their menus may not have been fully digital. If they were, were they current to the day? All that had to be worked out. And again, that's all leading us to customer experience. It's all leading us to servicing the needs of the customer. It was almost a mandate because no one was printing and passing out paper menus. Now it's a convenience that I think customers are going to demand. It's interesting you bring it up because I think at the end of the trip, I was talking with Tiffany about it, my wife and, and Audrey, and we were like, do we like it or do we not like it? And it was almost the same kind of conversation around how you feel about a book. You know, can you read a digital book on a Kindle or do you like to hold the book? I candidly, Bill, missed the menu. And I, what I said was, I love the efficiency that you can sit down and it's, you don't have to feel bad about, you know, destroying a menu, getting stuff on it and that type of stuff. And there, there are definitely people have figured out ways around that. But I felt like when you're dining with the family and you're all holding your menu and you're not looking at the phone, first of all, you know, sometimes like the whole thing about being present, right? It's forcing you now to, to have everyone grab their phone, have their phone at the restaurant and keep it within arm's length to do the ordering. We went to a pizza place and their whole thing is they have an app, forget who it's by, but you order, each of you order through the app and then the waiter just brings the food out to you. It puts it in the order queue and then at the end of, it knows what table somehow you're, you're coming from and then at the, it aggregates the bill at the end. And I didn't care for that at all as a customer experience. So I think we have to, the point we're making is like, you like it. I'm not sure I like the, I love the technology, the QR code and how cool it is that you can bring something up. I remember my first presentation, Bill, where I used a QR code on a slide and I said, hey, if you want the materials from today, a copy of the slides, just hold your phone up and boom, there you have it. Now I thought, wow, this guy's, this presenter is really cutting edge coming up with something like that. Now QR codes, we all know what QR codes can do. So it, it is, it's nice as a very efficient way to get to the menu, but if we're gonna make it, that's the new experience then do something for me on the phone that makes the dining experience a little bit more collaborative. Cause that's when I'm dining with family and friends, I like, Hey Bill, what, what are you going to get on the menu? And it's not that you can't do that on the phone, but you're zooming in and out. And I don't know, it just feels different to me. I would agree. I mean, there's, there's something nice about holding a book. There's something nice about holding a letter and reading it or holding a menu. I think there's a huge part of what you commented on, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, my kids were young enough that we almost collected phones at dinner time and said, hey, no phone time, the family's eating. And by having to require them to use their phone to order, I can see that being one of those cultural things that families have to find a way to navigate around. I mean, we've all been in restaurants, we've looked over and there's a couple, three tables over, they haven't said a single word to each other or made eye contact in 15 minutes and their noses are stuffed in their phone. I don't wanna live that way. And I don't know if that's healthy long-term, but I mean, we have to appeal. If you're a restaurant or a retailer or a healthcare provider, you have to appeal to the needs of the customer and the wants of the customer, mm -hmm. which are very different sometimes, so. Yeah, I guess certain environments, yeah. QR code, sure. And other other ones, I want the menu. Let's talk about financial services from a marketing perspective you know we have our d3 methodology and again guys if you haven't taken a look at it i'll make sure there's a link 
to some of the content we have about it. But the D3 methodology, for those of you who haven't seen it, Bill, in a, a refresher, it gets its name because to maximize revenue growth, you've got to focus on demand creation. That's the first D. Demand management, that's the second D. And demand expansion, which is your install base. In your customer base, in the financial services area that you lead, where do you think they are strongest of those three areas? And where do you think they should be stronger? Two-part question. So the majority of our customers today have a lens into their customers really strong based on what they're currently selling, how their customers today are consuming the current product lines, and what that pipeline looks like. And they've been doing it for a long time. They've built that muscle memory. They know how to service what they've already sold. And that's probably one of their strengths. And unfortunately, that same strength works as a weakness when they go to cross-sell, when they go to pivot and say, you've been buying this product from us for a long time. We do it very well. And we thank you for the repeat business. Mm -hmm. We want you to then take your eyeballs and look over here and look at this other product line. We just acquired a company I mentioned earlier at the beginning, M&A is relevant, right? Mm -hmm. So you used to buy checking services from us and you used to buy home mortgages. We just offered these new product lines around line of credit and student loans. And they don't really know how to take a set of eyeballs from one customer mm -hmm. and redirect them to something else. I think there's some fear, Dave, where if we confuse them, we're going to lose the customer 100%. So not only are we not going to cross-sell them well, but then they're going to take their eyes off what's currently in front of them. I think there's also a lot of tribal knowledge in what they know today and what they're selling today. And there's no way to automate that to go look at some new offering. And we've all gotten a piece of marketing material from an existing supplier or partner. And it's frustrating because you're already buying that service from that provider, yet they just sent you something through the mail, you got an email, you got the phone call at home, and you're like, really, don't you know that I'm buying that from you? I pay you every quarter for that service. And that's one of those things where somebody is trying to cross-sell, they're trying to digitally market, but you know they've got a, a lack of information or they don't know how to harness that information well. And I think that's where the D3 methodology provides value to our clients because it really continually puts in front, look, it's not one thing. Mm -hmm. You're not in the business of selling your current customers the current thing. Mm -hmm. That's great. You've got to do that. But there's these other two Ds out here and you have to be able to leverage a broader perspective. And that will require you to have a handle on digital information. It will require you to have a handle on your data. You know, we've all heard for years this concept of a 360 degree view of a customer thrown around. If you don't have that 360 degree view today, you are really putting your business at risk because somebody else will, right? And we always hold like Amazon and Facebook as the gold standard up there as, you know, the suggestion engine and the referral. I mean, all these different things, they've set that as the bar and if you don't have that same capability and that same execution, 
right? Very rarely do I get misinformation from Amazon. If I'm looking at a product, I get the product information. If they're referring me to something or putting my eyes at another point, it seems to be more relevant than other websites I might be on. They do do it and, well, that's for sure. They leverage their data incredibly well. Yeah. I made the comment to a customer the other day, if you cannot leverage data or you don't want to leverage data today, you are really putting your organization at risk. You've probably already started to lose market share and that market share loss is going to accelerate because your competitors, known or unknown, are going to find ways to leverage data and you will just be outmaneuvered in the market. Yeah. I've got a couple episodes coming up on Demand Gen TV, our YouTube channel, that were just about to come out. When I say that, I don't know when you guys are listening to this podcast, but we are nearing the end of August. So I would say by the beginning of September, showing some data tools. So showing some of the tools that are out there in the MarTech space. But I'd like to talk with you about some of the data work that the group is doing for our financial services clients, because I often get concerned and slash frustrated with a lot of marketers ignoring the data, you know, just treating their database like an episode of Hoarders, stuffing everything in there, not bringing the right hygiene to it, and only thinking that the only data asset that's needed is the data within their marketing automation system, or maybe the data in the CRM, but not the vast amounts of data that exists across the company and how to stitch all that together. And that's where my passion is, because that, then you get an exponential return from the data, like you said, the way that Amazon is using it. Before we get there, by the way, if any of you are working in financial services, especially in credit union, go back and listen to podcast 153 that I did with David Eldred. That was back when he was at Rivermark. He is now at Celerity. And David's a master at, at marketing bill to the install base. I mean, he really gets that if he's going to grow revenue at the bank, you always have to be acquiring new customers. But he is fearless when it comes to the cross-sell and the upsell of the services because at a credit union, their whole DNA is to have a very intimate relationship with the customer. Well, how do you have an intimate relationship if you're doing more and more digital and contactless engagement? And yet the credit union wants to make sure that, hey, you want a student loan? Boom. You want an all boom. And they're using data to know when to target people for those offerings, not just batch and blast marketing, but really time-based and targeted based on where they are in their life and raising a family. What are some of the things that you guys are routinely doing for clients in the financial services area, whether whether it's data or other areas? So I'll go back to something you just touched on a few minutes ago, mm -hmm. Dave. If you are going to live or die based on the information you're using to reach out and touch a customer with a new offering to further an existing offering, first and foremost, data quality has to be just in your DNA. And that is unfortunately not the case for a lot of companies. You know, you used the word hoarding a couple of minutes ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people have been collecting data and they have terabytes of information, but it's not very good. It's got gaps, it's incomplete, it's the duplicates. And so, you know, first and foremost, we advise our customers to, if you're going to start to be a data leveraged, a data-driven business, you better have good data and you better have clean data. So that's you know kind of job one. Mm -hmm. Secondly, as marketers, we have to break the silos down of you know marketing owns CRM and Martech information, and IT owns corporate transactions, and the call center owns call center. 
these boundaries have to be broken down and we have to look across all the domains seamlessly. We have to look across all the domains easily. And if you are going to begin to service the needs of a customer, understanding that they just called in yesterday with a complaint or they just called in yesterday with a question would be an important piece of information before you reach out to them. And very rarely have people integrated call center information, CRM information, transactional information together. So we try to inspire that motion early on. We spend a lot of time with our customers, specifically on the banking and insurance side, getting data out of their core platforms, whether it's Fiserv, whether it's Jack Henry, whether it's James River, and really putting that in a very common place where everybody can access it and leverage it. So this concept of self-service data is alive and well. The concept of having validated information where I know that if I go to this place, that data is clean, it's updated daily, it's got the proper level of hygiene, and it's also got the proper level of connections back to the call center, back to the CRM system, back to the MarTech system that you know, really demonstrates that I do have full command of my customer's journey because I'm looking at the right data that defines the customer journey. So when I'm talking to them or I want to send them an email or I want to you know, put them on a drip campaign to drive a new offering and you know, position it four times in the next six weeks, I'm comfortable that I've got the right information and it's accurate. Yeah. I mean, it's we could talk a lot about the power of data and the gaps that we're seeing. I talked a long time ago about how, I don't know what blog post it was. I feel like it was five, six years ago, maybe longer about the role of the data scientist and that you need someone responsible for data operations and orchestrating your data. And we, sure enough, we are seeing more and more of that every day across clients, large and small. I want to ask you, Bill, about the future. Because it's easy for all of us to say and sit here and go, hey, digital transformation is real. It's here. Yeah, yeah, of course. Digital modernization is my way of saying there doesn't become transformation day. We're like, okay, we checked all the boxes. We are now prepared for where we need to be. So what's the future look like? I mean, what does it look like for the consumer? What changes may be happening in the financial services area that either we as consumers or we on the marketing side or sales side of financial services do we need to be prepared for? Dave, I loved your comment of a few minutes ago, digital transformation doesn't start when you check the last checkbox. And companies that are experimentally friendly, fearless, you know, not afraid to fail, you know, pick your phrase, really are going to strive to be better and to move faster than companies that don't encourage that behavior. And we are just at our infancies in digital transformation. Technology change is accelerating, which is hard to even think about, even for professionals like you and I that are in the space. It's hard to imagine they're still anticipating the next five years to be far more disruptive than the last 10 years. Yet we know it's coming. So we have to be able to experiment. We have to be able to try new things. You know, if you think of data science, a lot of the data science roles that are in organizations today are doing those predictive things. They're not reporting generic BI. They're not providing data visualization. They're really asking those what if questions. Mm -hmm. A lot of these what if questions don't move to the next level. They fail 
you go on and ask your what if question a different way or maybe scrap that entire thought process and come up with a brand new what if question. Organizations that can do that can really adapt to change quickly and they can really leverage the technology. We are truly in the age of the consumer. You know, we talked a few minutes ago about Amazon and Facebook have set the bar for e-commerce and and not just the website and the online presence, but just the information flow that they're giving us via email or on the site. And everybody is going to be held to that standard, whether you're selling you know, donuts or selling bolts or selling batteries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a big part of the future as we continue to adapt. I think there's going to be a lot of product personalization. People are not going to be very you know, warm to the idea that I'm buying the same product as 10,000 other people are buying. I'm not that person. My kids are older. They're younger. I have grandparents I'm supporting. You know, I'm supporting mom and dad. I'm a single parent. And companies that can look at product personalization and put product personalization into their product development are going to be able to have a much more tailored, a much more personal impact to their consumers. And I believe those consumers are going to follow them a lot further. And last but not least, we have to look at this Gen Z up and coming segment of society and really understand what is their buying habit going to be. I mean, we've already seen them adapt, you know, music streaming. We've already seen them adopt zip cars. They love the tiny house programs. My daughter loves that program. Mm-hmm. And they're very different than than you were, Dave, and, and I was. We need to look at what and how they were brought up. They were brought up with instant access to information. They were brought up with not having to engage with people if they chose not to. They were brought up with not having to buy things they could lease or or rent or stream. And the way they were raised, the way they were, you know, went through college and got their first job is going to have a very large impact on how they buy in the future. And that 25-year-old daughter of mine and your 20-year-old kids, they're going to be the big spenders in their 30s and in their 40s. And folks like you and I are going to age out a little bit. So retailers and service providers and banks and lenders are going to have to really understand that demographic and how they differ. I'll tell you something else, and I don't know if this is unique to the extended Lewis family, but you know what else is going on, Bill, is my kids have been come almost overnight entrepreneurs. And, you know, my son-in-law, Alex, has a online Etsy shop and he's got four 3D printers in his garage and he makes stuff and he, you know, built his Shopify site or whatever he did with with Etsy and, and he was open for business, 3D printing items that people wanted and he can't even keep up with the the orders. He's got to get more printers all the time. My daughter, his wife, she's got her merch store also on Etsy and she hires, either she does her own design bill or she hires people on Fiverr to do designs and she carries no inventory. She's designed the products, like you said, personalized products. She designed the products, but they get order ship fulfilled and she's literally you know, the merchant, but doesn't have any inventory carrying costs, makes her profits off of the, the profit. Not with no cost. So to your point about what we're seeing in the future, I think internationally, by the way, they're they're leading us in many ways, especially in, in Asia, with the passion and realization how much consumers want everything, 
highly personalized. I remember when Levi's got into it here and was personalizing their jeans. We've certainly seen tennis shoes. There's so much interest in people having their own very special product. We've seen for a long time, like influencers getting, you know, having people, oh, I want that bag because so-and-so had it, or I'm going to use that makeup because so-and-so had it. But we're going to see just completely unique products and different ways that people go to market. And there's very less brand loyalty, I believe, today than we've ever seen because it's so, there's new new companies entering the market all the time and the Gen Z buyer, it's fickle. They'll, they'll buy where they can get what they want for the best price or as, as personalized as you're saying. And I think, you know, in banking, coming back to financial services, there's gotta be ways that the banks differentiate and just don't make it about a transaction. If it wasn't so hard to move your money from one account, you know, bank to another, especially if you have stocks and that type of stuff, not that it's hard, but it'd be way easier. I know my daughter opened up a Robinhood account. I never would have thought of that. You know, like she just does all of her investing in a little mobile app on the phone. It's not Chase. It's not Wells Fargo. It's not, you know, JP Morgan. It's her doing it through an app and has really no connection to Robinhood at all. Just convenience. I think you said it right there in one word, convenience. The days of waiting for something, if you file a collision claim or a claim on your home or the days of waiting for something to get insurance policy underwritten. This younger generation doesn't understand why they just don't click a button and the account is open. They don't click a button. They go to a website, report the claim, and the next day the check comes in. They're not looking for the paper check. They're not looking at their post office. They just want to know, you know, I can sell money between my friends at dinner. How come a large insurance carrier like Allstate or State Farm can't put the money right in my bank account? Why do I have to wait 30 days for a paper check? People that can solve that problem, people that can innovate around that, they're going to grab market share away from these big established providers because that's what the Gen Z community wants. Yeah, And they're going to find somebody that's going to give it to them. I don't think they're ever going to go back to analog. They're not going to go back to unautomated. They're not going to go back to batch processing. They were born in an online world with instant access. And that's just the expectation moving forward. And it's a wake-up call for these very large and established insurance companies and banks, you know, and retailers and others, but you know, specifically to financial services, you know, if you have to file a claim and you have to wait 30, 45 days to get a result or get a callback, people are gonna go find another place to insure or go find another place to borrow. One hundred percent. And I close on this thought and I'm gonna timestamp it. It is right now as of recording, August 24th, 2021. And I mentioned I was going to the bank later. I have to make one other pit stop because I'm helping my mom with the sale of her house. And you know what I'm going to do, Bill? What I have to do? One of the things, get something notarized. So I want to predict that one day you won't have to do that either. They, they will They will be, we have DocuSign, right? But for some reason, certain signatures require you to have it witnessed and notarized, but when will that, if it isn't already, become a digital transaction? It's gotta happen. I think the takeaway for everybody, Bill, a couple ones, you know, go grab our digital transformation survey. There's a lot of great nuggets in there, findings in there that maybe you guys are gonna use for your 2022 planning. What we have to all be thinking about is how do we continue to improve the customer experience? How do we leverage our data so that we can grow the relationship and add more value in the relationship and the engagement that we have with our customers and our prospects, like companies, as you said, that Amazon are doing very, very well. 
how do we differentiate in a world where there's less and less contact? How do our products, our offerings, our websites, any way that you're touching your customer, how do you improve the engagement, improve the experience and leverage technology, right? And, and BDO Digital, one of the reasons that we joined forces with BDO Digital, Bill, right, was because we felt that the office of the CMO, the office of the CIO and the CTO, those three areas of the business are going to be the main drivers for the next curve in the revenue growth curve. I mean, they already are, but even more so. And that together, you said no more silos, right? To harmonize the strategies and the efforts that those groups are doing between each other, and that's why we have services across all that, is, is what has to happen. And I think the biggest challenge, Bill, just maybe closing thought for me, I'd like to get your perspective. I think the, the biggest challenge that businesses face is the lack of the internal expertise to help them figure out what they maybe don't even know is a problem yet for their business. That lack, I mean, no one's coming out of school prepared to help companies necessarily thrive in the age of digital modernization. That's my thought. I think to expand on that, Dave, not only do organizations need to really understand where they're going and how to get there and how to build it better, they also have to always have a defensive posture and think outside the box is who is the next competitor that's not in the space yet that's going to join the space, mm -hmm. right? If you look at what Uber did to the cab market, if you look at what Amazon did to the book market, you know, no one ever thought of a business model that sold books online, then created hardware to sell books digitally, then expanded into multiple product lines, then offered you know infrastructure, things that are unnaturally connected in a lot of people's minds seem very natural today. Mm -hmm. And you know, we have to look outside the box. It's an overused phrase, right? You have to look at things non-traditionally to really make sure that your organization does have sustainability. And you have to look at the assets that you have and try to figure out, can I leverage them differently? Or might somebody else decide to leverage them differently and put my business at risk? And I think that's what the fintechs are doing today as a you know specific example to draw us back to point. And I think that's where you know more and more of that trend is going to continue into the future. Agreed. Well, thank you, Bill. Like I said, today was a first. I plan on for all of you in the Demand Gen radio community. I want you guys to meet all the different solution leaders that we have here. Like Bill, we cover so many different markets that we're helping companies digitally transform a wealth of knowledge at your disposal. If you haven't already connected with Bill and you're in financial services, reach out to him on LinkedIn, Bill Topel, T-O-P-E-L. Bill, thank you so much for joining me. It's been great to meet you and the other members of the team. And, uh, you know, like I say, I've said it before, none of us are smarter than all of us. And the the knowledge that we have here across the team is, is really just, it's great. Really, really enjoying being with the team and learning how all of you guys are each providing different layers of value for our, our mutual clients. Very cool. Dave, thank you very much. Hopefully this isn't our last time together and we'd love to come back again and provide an update and dig into some of these topics. Yeah. You know, I'd like to get some of the guys uh, and gals over at Adobe and some of our other partners who also focus in financial services and maybe do a little bit of a roundtable and see how they're approaching it from a technology perspective. I mean, these guys, are, they're, they're 
the tool sets that they are innovating for customer engagement, for growth and revenue growth are mind blowing to me. And I think it would be good for us to bring strategy and technology discussions together. We'll do it. All right, you guys, that is going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Hope you are having a wonderful summer. I know some of you are still dealing with the impact of COVID on family members yourself. I wish you the best. I, As you heard, I just got a chance to take a family vacation. If you can, get out, do it for your mental health, take some time away from the house, change up the scenery. I highly recommend it. It was long overdue for me, Bill, and I hope others get out there. All right, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 